Good morning, Storyline. So good to be together. I saw that and I thought of this supply chain uh, Christmas that we have coming. <laughs> thought I'd put some uh, gift ideas up there for us. So I've shared in the past that I play basketball a couple times a week. What I don't talk about in public, and so we're going to keep this to ourselves, okay, is, uh, and this is because it's ex against league rules, this old man basketball league that I play in, all right? It's against any league rules to do any kind of training on the side whatsoever or to eat right. It's like a gentleman's agreement that we have, right? Um, but I also do Peloton. I just absolutely love Peloton. This is my friend Soren Cook who also does Peloton. Now, I usually beat him, okay, but he's getting better. Um, but I, I absolutely love Peloton. I'm addicted to it for a number of reasons. One is the music. The music is so cool. And I really do feel sorry for my buddy Mike Cook because I get off the bike after these workouts and, you know, I have all these song ideas that would never work here. Okay, as you can see, that would never work here, right? But I'm, while I'm on my bike finishing this workout, I'm riding to this song, I'm like, oh my gosh, Mike's going to love this. I'm, I'm going to send him this song. It'll be a great closer for Sunday. And then, you know how he responds? He doesn't. I just, nothing. There's no response at all. But actually, my favorite part of riding on Peloton is while you're just sweating and drenched, and it's just torturous, part of it, and the, the, uh, all the instructors have these inspirational quotes. And here are some of my favorites, right? This one I love. No challenge, no change. It's pretty good. I like that. No ego, amigo. Like, like, yes, you look bad, but keep going, right? Um, on this one, the good ones work out, the great ones outwork. Now, that's good, right? But my, my favorite is short but sweet. It's just this question. Are you ready? Yes or yes, <laughs> right? So I put up these inspirational quotes for a reason this morning because I need to preface this morning by saying that I am not talking at anyone here this morning. We are very much on this ride together, okay, because today's topic is incredibly challenging for me. Um, and, and what we're going to consider today, I think, is really important. In my view, it's absolutely critical to live a life of love and to love the life we live. So, anyway, <laughs> anyone can play at that game? Take that, right? I'm ready to instruct a, a class now. But here's the thing. Before the good news, before the good news needs to come some hard news. And we're going to have to keep all of these sayings and more, I think, in mind through all of this if we're going to get through this in one piece. So I want you to hang with me here, okay, because we're going somewhere. Because if what I'm about to share doesn't challenge us and probably even offend us a little bit, then frankly, I've failed, okay? Um, if we don't experience on some level, like, oh, whoa, that's what Jesus is saying? I, I, okay, I, I get how people could be really upset with him <laughs> about that. If we don't have that feeling at some point this morning, then I really haven't succeeded in communicating what I think Jesus is trying to invite us into this morning, okay? So we've been looking at the Beatitudes, and they are the opening lines of Jesus' first public address called the Sermon on the Mount. And I don't know about you, but they've been doing a real number on me. Like as much as any series that we've ever done, 
this has been a really challenging, personally, for me, series of talks. And so from the feedback I'm getting from you all, it seems like a lot of folks are um, resonating as well. And so and I'm glad of that. And this morning, we're turning to the fourth beatitude. And I'm just a reminder, the beatitudes are not a list of to-dos. Like you have to do this in order for God to love you. Or if you, you have to accomplish this or become this so that God will be on your side. That's not what they are. The Beatitudes are more like a, a map for how we get ourselves onto God's side. That's what they are, okay? So it's like how do we live a life of love and love the life we live? That's what this, they're about. So this step on the map of this fourth Beatitude is a tough one, okay? So are we ready? Yes or yes, right? This is what Jesus said. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. Now, I know that this doesn't, like, seem all that controversial, or even as we said last week, the Beatitudes aren't so much um, controversial or countercultural as they are counterintuitive. And this one doesn't even seem all that counterintuitive, at least at first glance, but I think we're going to see that what Jesus uh, is suggesting here is that we all have this universal problem. And it's a problem with satisfaction. Or really, dissatisfaction, if we were honest. And it's not something that we like to talk about. It's not, like, it's not something that we like to admit. And when you catch someone in a vulnerable moment and they start to talk about the dissatisfaction in their life or the dissatisfaction they have with life in general things can get really uncomfortable. But Jesus is insisting that there's like this elephant in our soul. And it stems from the, this one big disconnect. And it's that there is an invisible string, if you will, between our satisfaction in life and righteousness. Between our satisfaction in life and righteousness. Now, we opened this morning with this song, I Still Haven't Found What I'm Looking For, by U2. Very famous song, very famous band. It's either their number one or their number two biggest hit of all time, depending on what list you look at. This world-famous band is worth $1.2 billion. Now, how ironic is it that with that kind of fame and that kind of money, that they not only write a song like this, but that when they sing it, this is what happens. ever been to a U2 concert, and I have, they are like an unbelievably powerful event because 
and their most um, honest songs like this one, that always ends up happening. I always think of a U2 concert. It was one big, like, it's a Me Too concert, right? I still haven't found what I'm looking for. And in that particular place, 100,000 people singing along, basically, Me Too. Me Too. Now, there are not many things in uh, human beings that we share across gender and class and race and time and place but this haunting dissatisfaction certainly seems to be one of them, right? And this is as true uh, for the best and, and the brightest, for the rich and the famous and the powerful, as it is for the lowliest and the left behind. Uh, as I was putting this talk together, my attention was drawn to a figure in history, a figure in the Old Testament of the Bible that I think kind of illustrates this um, so much. His name was King Solomon. And he was the king of ancient Israel. Uh, God said he was the wisest of all men. He was the richest person on planet Earth at the time. And just a, this is a little bit of a longer passage, but listen to how he describes his experience with life. Oh, how I prospered. I left all my predecessors in Jerusalem far behind, left them behind in the dust. What's more, I kept a clear head through it all. Everything I wanted, I took. I, sit, I never said no to myself. I gave in to every impulse, held nothing back. I sucked the marrow of pleasure out of every task. Then I took a good look at everything I'd done. I looked at all the sweat and all the hard work, but when I looked, I saw nothing but smoke, smoke and spitting into the wind. There was nothing to any of it, nothing. And then I took a hard look at what's smart and what's stupid. But I did see that it's better to be smart than stupid, just as light is better than dark. Even so, the smart ones see where they're going, and the stupid ones grope in the dark. They're all, in, they're all the same in the end, one fate for all, and that's it. When I realized that my fate's the same as the fools, I had to ask myself, so why bother being wise? It's all smoke, nothing but smoke. The smart and the stupid both disappear out of sight. In a day or two, they're both forgotten. Yes, both the smart and the stupid die, and that's it. And I hated everything I'd accomplished and accumulated on this earth. I can't take it with me. No, I, I have to leave it to whoever comes after me, whether they're worthy or worthless, and who's to tell? They'll take over the earthly results of my intense thinking and hard work smoke thanks for thanks for coming let's pray <laughs> look when jesus raises this topic of satisfaction he gets our attention right he has our attention because we've all had that same experience that solomon's going through right there and this is the implication that jesus is making with this beatitude if we are unsatisfied with life, if we still haven't found what we're looking for, it's for the same reason that, frankly, when we stand in the fridge, uh, in front of the fridge, and nothing looks good, <laughs> right? Happens all the time, right? Why? It's because we're not looking for the right things. We aren't nourishing ourselves on the right food. We've cut the invisible string between righteousness 
and satisfaction. That's what he's claiming with this beatitude. And it's not a popular thing to say to people. But it, it's kind of like, remember when uh, we're, you're little and you pick up the cookie and your mom says, put that cookie down, you're going to, right, spoil your dinner, right? We all heard it a million times. As parents, we say it all the time, snacks spoil meals. Snacks spoil meals. And our souls were meant to feast on righteousness, on righteousness, not on what looks, sounds, and feels good, easy, and convenient. Now, when we think about this nutritionally, it, it makes sense, right? We know that manufactured food, manufactured food, comfort food, makes us sick. It's convenient, it's fast, it's cheap, it's easy, but over time, we cannot live on it, and the same thing is true for the spiritual life. When we're looking for quick hits of satisfaction in life, snacking, if you will, on what the world has to offer, on what's easy and fast and convenient, it will leave us malnourished. One of my favorite writers and one of my favorite thinkers is a man named St. Augustine. He used to talk about this all the time. And he finally came to this conclusion that our hearts are restless until they rest in you. Like, we were made by God, for God, to run on and rest in God. And snacking too much on anything else, looking for our satisfaction apart from God, ruins that meal. It deadens our appetite to connect with the source and goal of life. And then we stand in front of a feast and nothing looks good, right? Now, there are obvious costs to living this way, um, playing Solomon's game, if you will. It not only weakens us, just like junk food does, it, it makes us crave more and more of it. So it's like this downward spiral. We eat, we snack on things that aren't good for us. It makes us want more of it. We eat more of it. That doesn't satisfy us. And when we, we think about this just on the food level, right? We know that manufacturers design junk food that make us hungry. They do it on purpose, right? It's, it, the, the more we eat, the less we're satisfied. So the more we eat, and the same thing happens in real life. The same exact thing is happening spiritually. When we turn to the world, to what's out there for satisfaction, then all of a sudden, we, this is what happens. Our need increases for the world, for circumstances, for situations to arrange themselves in ways that will please us, to go a certain way, or else we, we're brittle and we can't handle it, and life runs off its rails. It's, it is exactly like snacking on junk food with very little nutritional value. It weakens us from the inside out, and then ironically, it decreases our capacity to deal with life when it doesn't show up the way we want it to. It's just, it's, so it's this downward spiral. And then what, you, what we find is resentment and frustration and exasperation. And these are all signs of a malnourished soul. And when Jesus let loose on this fourth beatitude, these are the kinds of things that people, the connections that people were making. Like, is he saying this? And the answer is, yeah, that, this is what he's saying. 
You still haven't found what you're looking for because you're looking, you're snacking on things that will never satisfy you. Now, fortunately for me, my wife is fantastic at pointing this out in me without pointing at me, right? Not like all wives are. They're just so great at this, right, guys? So in my life, being, maltre- being malnourished often looks like this. I start to notice all of the things about the house or about Lisa's life that just aren't so. Like, not the way that I would do it, right? And so, uh, you know, I might say things like, what's up with all these dishes in the sink? Or, you know, possibly maybe a couple days ago, Lisa, where are my shoes? I just put them right here. What would you do with them? Or my personal standby, there is nothing to eat in this house at all. Now, after the third or fourth snitty comment, Lisa finds a way to say, oh, I get it. It's, it's Thursday, and the talk's not coming together so well, is it? <laughs> What is that about again? Satisfaction and inner peace? And then she just walks away, right? I love her so much. But do you see what I'm saying? That that is what Jesus is doing. And this is the reason that there are people, I mean, we think of him as this teddy bear that, you know, this cuddly teddy bear. But there are a lot of people that really dislike him. And it's for moments like this. Because he's constantly saying what you call righteous or right living isn't. What what we're looking for won't satisfy us. We need to take a much more sober look at ourselves. There's something I want to say to you. And I want you to listen very closely. Because it's very important. The man we just chased from here. We didn't chase anybody. The man who just left the room a moment ago is a very good friend of mine. Is it because I've known him for a long time? There are a lot of people who I've known for quite a while. And some of them, I wouldn't let wipe my dog's ass. Others, I can take or leave. They don't matter to me. But Larry matters very much. The reason being, I can trust him. I know I can trust him. He's honest. Is he honest? Or is he just blunt? He's honest, Bob. He's blunt as well. That sometimes is part of being honest. Because there are a lot of people who are blunt, but not honest. Larry is not one of those. Larry is an honest man. (sighs) You too are an honest man, Bob. I believe that. Somewhere down deep inside of you is something that strives to be honest. The question that you have to ask yourself is, has it touched the whole of my life? What does that mean? That means that you preaching Jesus is no different than Larry or anybody else preaching lubricants. It doesn't matter whether you're selling Jesus or Buddha or civil rights, or how to make money in real estate with no money down. 
That doesn't make you a human being. It makes you a marketing rep. If you want to talk to somebody honestly, as a human being, ask him about his kids. Find out what his dreams are. Just to find out, for no other reason. Because as soon as you lay your hands on a conversation, to steer it, it's not a conversation anymore. It's a pitch. And you're not a human being. You're a marketing rep. Oh, forgive me if I respectfully disagree. We were talking before about character you were asking me about. Character. And we were speaking of faces. But the question is much deeper than that. The question is, do you have any character at all? And if you want my honest opinion, Bob, you do not. For the simple reason that you don't regret anything yet. You're saying I won't have any character unless I do something I regret? No, Bob. I'm saying you've already done plenty of things to regret. You just don't know what they are. It's when you discover them. When you see the folly in something you've done and you wish that you had it to do over. But you know you can't because it's too late. So you pick that thing up and you carry it with you to remind you that life goes on. The world will spin without you. You really don't matter in the end. Then you will attain character. Because honesty will reach out from inside and tattoo itself all across your face. Until that day, however, you cannot expect to go beyond a certain point. Thanks, guys. So good, so good. Now, I'm sure some of us recognize this in ourselves or in someone that we know or we care about. Some of these lines from this scene and from this song, you've already done plenty of things to regret. You just don't know what they are yet. So good. That's from a film, The Big Kahuna. It's fantastic. And this line from this song, what if I'm down? What if I'm out? What if I'm someone I don't want around? Jeez. When we started meeting together here last month, we said that we're going to use this new start in this new place to look at how Jesus started, which is why we're in the Beatitudes, and how and why storyline started. And I think that this is a great example. We use modern science, and we use ancient wisdom, and we use great art to look for and to get, better, to get a better grasp of what is and maybe even what could be. See, great art possesses, or maybe the, maybe the better way to put it is that it is possessed by what theologians call the prophetic voice. And that's this cry from the deepest recesses of the human condition about the human dilemma. That's what the prophetic voice is. And in this scene, 
And in this song, it's about this dissatisfaction with self-righteousness. When our lives are only about us and what begins to happen. When our lives are basically like a do-it-yourself life. This is the first half of the prophetic voice. This is the first half of what prophets do. They hold up a mirror to us, and they ask us to take a good, long, hard look at ourselves. I actually sent Mike another song that we could have used for this portion of the talk. He chose the one by Harry Styles, but he could have chose. uh, I also recommended this one. Can you play that? Now, Mike decided not to do that song. Still not sure why, okay? But it's a prophetic lyric. Look at what this says. Aya, eye against eye, flesh of my flesh and mind of my mind, two of a kind, but one won't survive. And then this is the, the key here. My enemy's reflection is in my enemy's eye, and his enemy's reflected in mine at the same time. It's so brilliant. It is so brilliant. My real enemy's image is reflected in my enemy's eye. He's saying when we're looking out there, when we're blaming something or someone out there for our dissatisfaction, for generating our dissatisfaction, it's time to take a closer look. And when we do, what we'll find is our own reflection in that person's eye. Because we are, we are our own enemy. That is what Jesus is saying in this beatitude. And just like I don't want to hear that, and you don't want to hear that, people in his time did not want to hear that. This is a hard news. This is offensive to many people. You are your problem. Let's pray. No, okay, no, two false endings there, right? There's more to this, I promise. But man, he's trying to drive this home. And Jesus, but Jesus doesn't stop there at the first half of this prophetic voice, okay? He says, you know, if we're dissatisfied, yes, we are dissatisfied. But there are things that, that can change in us if we'll hunger and thirst for righteousness. We can think of it this way. Like our instinct, when we look to like live rightly, righteously, to get our life right, It's almost always us looking out to get things out there situated in in the right way, arranged just so, right? Like the right room temperature, the right lighting, the right job, the right spouse, kids that act the right way, the right president, the right policy, and on and on and on it goes. And all those things have their place for sure. But Jesus is saying that righteousness and satisfaction are not found by looking out Satisfaction is cultivated in three ways, really. By looking in, and then up, and then through. This is what he's inviting us into. When we look out, when our instinct is that the enemy of our soul, that which is causing us to be dissatisfied, is something or someone out there, we begin to disintegrate. 
It, it divides us internally, and it divides us from one another. Wendell Berry, one of my favorite writers, wrote about it in his essay called The Unsettling of America. Listen to what he said. It's unbelievable. Surely there has never been a people more ominously and painfully divided than we are, both against each other and within ourselves. He wrote that in 1977. The good old days. <laughs> Imagine what he would say now, right? You see, the biblical concept of righteousness Biblical concept of righteousness has two parts to it, like two halves to it. It means to be in right relationship with God, the source and the goal of life, and to be in a right relationship with everything and everyone in between along the way. And short of that integration of those two halves of righteousness, living with integrity, living integrated, rightly related to God, ourselves, and others, Short of that, we will disintegrate. We will disintegrate. In disintegration, one, one thinker calls it the inability to be satisfied. Isn't that amazing? He goes on to claim that it's the inability to enjoy joy. Remember a few weeks ago, we discovered that the first beatitude is all about God being on our side. In the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, God has come to us. He is with us. He is for us. There is, like, there's nothing we need to do to impress or please or appease him. He's already on our side. And so from that standpoint, the first half of righteousness, being rightly related to God, uh, um, it, the step that we can't achieve or take on our own has already been done for us. God has done that, and he's offering that to us. But that doesn't necessarily mean that now we're automatically hungering and thirsting for righteousness. It's entirely possible to have a feast laid out before you and to choose Cheetos and gummy bears. I know, right? Maybe you do too. We could still, even with this offer that God is giving everyone everywhere every day, we could still choose to use our life as comfort food. as what works for me right here, right now. And instead of being nourished and strengthened by righteousness, satisfied by this nutritious feast of right righteousness, we just kind of sit on the sofa in a dissatisfied stupor. So the question becomes... How do we tie our satisfaction back to righteousness? How do we do that? Years ago, when Storyline uh, first started, we were experimenting with all different kinds of environments and what to do in different kinds of environments. And the gathering is one we're in now together, and we've kept doing that. But one that we had early on was called Connection. And we've morphed this idea from Connection. Now we call it Second Story. And it's a, it's a gathering, a, a kind of gathering that we do still several kinds of times a year. We haven't started this back up yet after the pandemic, but we will soon. And basically, in our second story settings or in this connection setting, we get together and we sing songs together. We take communion together. And sometimes someone will come up and share a little bit about their life or a reflection uh, of their life of faith. And many years ago at, at a connection service, 12, 14 years ago, my friend Joy was sharing. 
and said something that I have never forgotten. I think about it all the time. And I've repeated it at gatherings before. And she said this. She said, there is a joy that only the brokenhearted can know. And I know that's true for me. I know when my heart is unbreakable or it's only broken for me, for my pain, for my struggle, I stand in front of the refrigerator of life and I say, nothing looks good. There's just nothing that looks good. Nothing sounds good. And I am perpetually dissatisfied, resentful, exasperated. Joy was reflecting on one of these very first ideas that we thought God was leading us into, that one of the reasons storyline started, and it was joining God on his mission to love the world right again. Like, how can we be a church that is for those who aren't here? That's the question she was talking about that evening. Accepting God's invitation, not just to be rightly related to him, but to live rightly for and toward all of his children. And how that can and will break our hearts and how there is joy and a satisfaction that can only come when we're living like that. When, when that is how we're poised, when that's the stance of our life in our hearts. You see, satisfaction is found not just in looking in, not just in, in looking hard in the mirror, you know, and, and acknowledging that we are our own enemy. And it's not just about found and then turning to God and looking up and getting rightly related to him. It's also about looking through, in, up, and then through all of that love that God has for the world around us and our role in making it better. And when we bring those things together, that's what ties satisfaction and righteousness together again. It's not just about believing the right things or not doing anything naughty. It's about something much bigger and better and beyond that. You know, we often contrast when we're together Jesus and his way of grace with religion. And, and I'd like to close this morning by, by doing that again. Because sometimes the most religious people seem to me to be the most dissatisfied with life. The most dissatisfied with life. And I think in this beatitude, Jesus is helping us to understand why. And it's hopefully, and hopefully we'll see it too. See, Jesus' way of grace is only the beginning of religion's finish line. Religion's finish line is grace's starting line. Maybe think about it like this. Religion is all about what can we do, what must we do to get God on our side. And then, once we've fulfilled those things, once we've checked that box, once we've, you know, done what we think God requires of us, we're not free to go. We're free to pursue our satisfaction any old way, any old place. But Jesus is saying religion has it all wrong. He is insisting there's nothing we can do to get God on our side because he's already on our side. But this isn't the goal. That's not the goal of life. That's not the finish line. This isn't the end. God being on our side is the source of life. It's just the starting line. It's the means 
to what he means to lead us into. It's just the beginning. You see, Jesus came not just to rescue us. He came to rescue us from a lot. Not the least of which is the dissatisfaction of pursuing our own private do-it-yourself life. That will just, it will just never work. He's not saying don't live that way because it's naughty. He's not saying don't live that way because it's shameful. He's saying don't live that way because it won't work. It won't work. Again, one of my favorite writers says, sin isn't shameful. It's stupid. I think it's so good. Life lived in, by, with, through, and for the grace of God is not about the freedom to do what we want. It's about wanting what will set us free. That's the invitation of this beatitude. What will truly satisfy us. That is, that is absolutely critical to living a life of love and loving the life we live. But this only begins to happen in us when we look in at the dissatisfaction, when we look up at the righteousness of God, and when we look through the love of God to others in the life that he's given us to live. One of Jesus' first followers put it this way. We don't owe this old do-it-yourself life one red cent. There's nothing in it for us, nothing at all. The best thing to do is to give it a decent burial and get on with your new life. God's spirit beckons. There are things to do and places to go. Sounds so good. Satisfaction comes through righteousness, and righteousness comes not from looking out, not from looking out and trying to arrange things exactly how we want, but by looking in at ourselves, up to God, and then through the love of God to his world and his children. It's God from the beginning. It's God to the end. It's God as the fountain of our, of our satisfaction. So to live a life of love and to love life we live, we must keep our pursuit of satisfaction tied to righteousness, to an open, loving relationship with God as the fount of all of our blessings that inspires and empowers a loving relationship with ourselves, with our lives, with others, and with the world. It's a beautiful and brilliant counterintuitive map to the abundant life that Jesus is inviting us into. One that will help us respond to life no matter what it gives us like this. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for this time and this place, for this opportunity to be together. We thank you that you have given us a map, a way to move our lives toward you. Not something to accomplish, not something to achieve, not a point to prove, but just a way to harmonize our life with you. But I pray that you would show us the ways in which we are dissatisfied and that you would help us to see the way you're inviting us into righteousness. 
into an open and loving relationship with you and with others and with the role that you're inviting us to play in loving the world right again. God, I pray that as we leave here this morning, you would help us to grow and remain open, alert, expectant, and dependent on you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.